0: Welcome to What That Means. I'm Camille Moorhart, and thanks for joining me for part two of our discussion on non fungible tokens, better known as NFTs, especially if you listen to Mark Zuckerberg's description of the metaverse. If you missed part one, I suggest you go back and listen or watch the episode first so you can get a good grounding in the basic definition of what is an NFT. As in part one, my guest is Mick Bowman, a senior principal engineer at Intel Labs who runs the Trustworthiness Distributed Systems Lab. For part two of our conversation, the talk turns to potential uses of NFTs beyond artwork, video clips, or collectibles.
1: Let's speculate outside of media. Let's say that what I want to do is create a trained machine learning model. I've got a classifier, right? And it does some really cool things and I'm going to create an NFT for that, you buy the classifier, and now you can use that classifier in your application that way. And you know, if I do it right, maybe I can allow you to use the classifier, but you don't have the right to see the model that's inside the inferencing engine that way. But you have some additional data, and you take the original model that I gave you, and you add your data and you retrain that model so it's it's a better classifier, mm-hmm. right? And then you turn around and sell it, your, your new model. We could create a marketplace for those kinds of things where even though you've created this new model, I get a portion of the sales when you sell yours because I contributed to yours that way. And those New ideas for for what constitutes ownership and monetization, and what is an economy in this space—that's really the power of the NFT. Is transactions can get a whole lot more interesting than me giving you three dollars for you know a cup of coffee. That way, there's a lot more that can be about inside those transactions. So, like I said, back to the technology. You know, NFTs are really boring. It's an identifier and an owner mm-hmm. that goes along with it. But the interesting part is that we can expand that transfer operation to do a lot more interesting stuff, that it really is a smart contract. And that means that we can code entirely new behaviors in ownership transfer. It also means that we can define new ways for determining what ownership is.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, say more about that. How is ownership (laughs) changing?
1: So let's go back to an image, right? When you purchase an image, You know, I've got a painting on my wall or the one back here that I have. What am I allowed to do with that? Well, I can actually turn around. I can resell the physical art that way. But I have not purchased the copyright to that image for it. But with an NFT, it might be possible to encode in that the right for me to purchase not just the art, but to purchase the copyright that goes along with the art. Um, there was one company that was talking about taking all of their patents, hmm. creating NFTs for the patents. And ownership of the NFT would convey certain rights to use the intellectual hmm. property that was part of the patent that way. So there becomes a very concrete license um, for what you can do with this idea that's been patented there. So we can code up in these smart contracts, you know, simple licenses, complex licenses, or in some cases, no licenses at all Mm -hmm. for it. We can encode sort of downstream transactional value and derive the value of derived products from it. All of this can be encoded in the smart contract Mm -hmm. that goes along with the NFT.
0: And part of the benefit of the smart contract is It's self-polices in the sense that, you know, how are you ever going to get something back if it's stolen or this or that? or you misused? It's like, good luck. But you're saying, well, you're going to code it in. So it may.
1: It doesn't. It doesn't. Right. I mean, ownership of the NFT does. But recall what we said is that the asset is the separate thing out here, the picture. So I may try to resell the picture, even though the Mm -hmm. NFT doesn't necessarily give me the rights to do that. And honestly, that that distinction between the two and sort of Mm -hmm. these open markets may be the biggest barrier in extending NFTs out into new assets. So Mm -hmm. we do it right now. I mean, these things work really well with media right now because there's some standard external recourse Mm -hmm. through copyright law. That sort of sets what you can and can't do with things. There's some fairly standard Creative Commons licenses that define Mm -hmm. some basic sets of rights for access to simple media. But as we extend these things out and start representing complex things like patents, for example, or there were a couple of bizarre things that have shown up recently, like there was a woman who was selling her eggs for an in vitro fertilization through an NFT, which has got to be the most bizarre thing I've seen um, (laughs) in the space so far. We don't know what rights ownership of the NFT actually conveys. I mean, that one to me feels like there's a setup for some really complicated legal discussions about what constitutes ownership and the rights to define that.
0: Wouldn't it just kind of follow like stock market and you know rights to portions of securities? Is that kind of a similar? No,
1: because those are well-defined. The government is, that has really well-defined those mm-hmm. um, and what the ownership parts of it are. But people are throwing stuff out in random ways about what they're trying to get access to. And they're doing it without sort of standard legal vernacular to mm-hmm. apply to those uh, transactions and those relationships.
0: Just to venture out on the like extreme speculative side of, of things here, we have all kinds of data that's been collected through Internet of Things. And obviously, some of that data or much of the data is has privacy concerns. But let's talk about data that's just valuable information for people, like sensor data of anything, whether nutrients in the soil, anything like that. Mm-hmm that nobody has really a mechanism to release because they're not going to gain anything from it. I know we're way out in the future and we're speculating, but can you let us know about how NFT might change something like that?
1: So again, we were talking about some of the, you know, kind of excitement about what's actually facilitated, what, what NFT facilitates that way. And to me, in some sense, this is the most exciting and most, speculative kind of aspect and usage for NFT is, can we really start to monetize data? So we have, as you pointed out, we have sensors collecting information in so many different ways, but the cost of getting that data to an open market of individuals who might find it valuable is just prohibitive right now. And so if we can find a way of connecting data providers, data creators, to those who want to consume the data, again, through some kind of an open market, that begins to justify the collection and publication of things we would not have done before. On the social good side of things, it opens us up to the potential for doing much more interesting queries over sort of large collections of information. Things like well, if a vineyard decides that they're going to export the information about the soil type and climate information and how they manage the grapes and what the yield was that was collected as a result of their management type, that information suddenly becomes useful to somebody else who's trying to you know, potentially start a new field. Can I find others that have done similar things so that I can configure mine in a way that will optimize the yield and the quality of the grapes that I'm getting? Mm-hmm. And any individual vineyard, the value of that data is disproportionately small to the cost of making it available. But if we can now start to create these NFTs around it, if if there's a way for us to tokenize that data, now we can create this marketplace and potentially make consumers of the data connected to the providers of the data in a way that justifies collection of and publication of that data. And that that would be really exciting.
0: It is. It's interesting because it's making me think of like right now, people maybe put up a YouTube of something that they're doing, right? And if somebody Mm -hmm. else finds it valuable or many, many people find it valuable, eventually, you know, whoever posted the video who received nothing from it at the time becomes monetized and now, or they have a following and then somehow they get Mm -hmm. to monetize and make money contingent on the number of people who like it and they're not uh in charge of the content really in that sense of you're not pairing people together you're now getting advertisers involved or platforms involved Uh in that so i think what you're talking about is a little bit of a paradigm shift might be a little strong but you're talking about this decentralized way of connecting the content producer with the content buyer
1: consumer yeah Yeah, exactly And I love the YouTube analogy, right? Because what YouTube did by making it easy to publish videos is that it makes everyone who's got some expertise, Mm -hmm. it gives them an opportunity to monetize that expertise, either through advertisements or subscriptions, whatever. When we collect data right now, there's no easy way for us to get the value back for the data that we're collecting. If there was some opportunity to make it as easy to collect the value on the data as it is to get value for our expertise through YouTube, then maybe we would see a lot more people collecting more information and sharing it, which means that we would get a better understanding of what's happening.
0: You have to also agree that this could be frightening.
1: It's terrifying, actually. (laughs) Um, and, And I say that the biggest barrier for me on the technical side is how do we make it possible to do this monetization of data and preserve the appropriate use of that data. And there are some technologies that we could bring to bear on it, but it's very much an open question. You know, this is why we do research and forward thinking and development in this space.
0: Pay attention to the ethics side and the privacy side.
1: Absolutely, you have to.
0: I want to ask two questions on the security side. One is, you know, how do you protect your NFT? And the other one is more interesting to me in the sense of are nfts going to allow us to protect things differently than we've been able to in the digital world
1: mm, protection is an interesting word the nfts themselves to a certain degree they don't need to be protected you know they are a very standard representation they're well defined with the, the smart contract platforms that we have and to a certain degree every one of these new marketplaces that builds their own blockchain around it is defining a certain set of rules for it. They're all trying to be relatively public about what, what transactions and exchanges mean. So the NFT part of it, to me, is not that interesting. It's it's how do you protect the asset that goes along with it? Mm-hmm. So let's go back to that that classifier. So I give you a model. A model has been trained by some machine learning algorithm. And that model may have confidential information inside it. So what I give you is the right to use this model to do interesting inferencing and potentially to derive new models. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that I've given you the right to see all the data that went into training the model that I gave you. So how do I protect that? How do I prevent you from taking this interesting asset, copying it out, and then selling it independently without giving me my cut of the derived goods?
0: or you're also saying you you may have personal information or private you know privacy concerns within
1: Exactly or or things that have been derived from that right? right And right now the answer is we just don't do it if if there's going to be private information in there which which is the very safe thing to do that's appropriate But if we have technologies that allow us to protect the confidentiality of it you know and whether that's you know zero knowledge proofs or homomorphic encryption or trusted execution environments whatever Are there ways that we can protect the intellectual property in those assets to create digital scarcity and to protect the assets much more rigidly than what we currently have, much more formally than what we have with the existing kind of media parts of it? If we can do that, again, that opens up some doors for some really interesting new applications for for NFTs, that we can create new markets for, data not just for media
0: they are used uh, well i shouldn't say they are used today i have heard of scenarios where they it's at least being explored that nfts are helping verify the authenticity of a physical object like i heard nike does it for sneakers to verify that they're a certain kinds of sneakers i guess
1: mm, yeah, let, let's 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 be a little careful to differentiate between the nFTs which are the kind of tradable representation and having a serial number registered in a blockchain or in a database someplace you know i think we've we've talked about this kind of the last time that there were a couple of attempts to do diamond registries
0: mm-hmm.
1: where you could actually etch an identifier in the diamond um, and then you could track its progress. And there are already systems to be able to do that. You don't need an NFT in order mm-hmm. to track the uniqueness of, of shoes. What you need is a way of creating a unique identifier in the shoe and then right. registering that identifier someplace else. Uh,
0: but that could create the need for digital items or digital assets to like self-generate IDs that are you know non-vulnerable. I don't know what's the right word. Non-hackable. <laughs>
1: Non-forgeable. Right. Um that way and uh, 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 um, do we have the ability to generate unique identifiers yes do we have an ability to generate unique identifiers that are unforgeable for physical goods it's not all that easy but it can be done do we need nfts in order to make those unique identifiers it might be a nice way to do it especially if we're thinking about moving into these secondary markets but you know, if you bought a pair of Nike shoes and I buy those Nike shoes from you and somebody else wants to buy them from me and verify that they are a unique, real Nike product, unless when I bought them from you, we did an NFT transaction that transferred ownership, then what's the point? There's a lot of this stuff about we know how to trade NFTs. But we don't necessarily know how to update the nft as we trade the physical goods mm-hmm. and so this uh, it, there's a whole new space that well it's not even really that new of digital twinning right where you're binding you know a physical object to a digital representation of that object and the synchronization of those two and the continuous synchronization of those two if you build it that way can be done but for a lot of these physical goods, if you're not building it that way, it's going to be really hard to to maintain those relationships.
0: Wow. Okay. So what's kind of the, you mentioned one of the hottest topics in NFTs right now. Are there any other kind of barriers or like major things that people are arguing about?
1: Well, we are, you know, we already talked about interoperability as being mm-hmm. one of them. Um, partial ownership is another thing, and you can kind of understand that again from an investor's viewpoint rather than an owner. What does partial ownership of an image mean from practical terms? Does it mean I own a slice <laughs> of, of pixels out of that image? What can I do with that slice of pixels? I don't know, right? I mean, the, the, there's that part of it. But if I'm treating the NFT as a security in which I am purchasing it for an investment, Mm -hmm. right, for resale, um, then partial ownership is a very interesting concept, especially when these NFTs are going for $100,000 and being able to get into the NFT marketplace becomes so expensive. So in those situations, how a collective goes Mm -hmm. together to purchase um, the NFT, that becomes important as the values are going up.
0: I suppose I should ask like the very most basic question, which is why create scarcity when it's not needed? Why create, well, why create digital scarcity? Let's just leave it at that. You can have anything digital can be reproduced essentially for free forever. So why create the scarcity?
1: Well, I'll say on one hand, an interesting problem is can we make, digital assets that can't be copied arbitrarily that is an interesting question here that that supports the scarcity but why scarcity is valuable because it makes them collectible it's like that back to that onus wagner card you know what makes that card valuable is that there were only some very, very small number of them originally produced. And, and owner Spagner happens to be a really good, popular baseball player. And uh, my understanding is that the card came out before he became a popular baseball player. And there were certain mistakes made in the run. But whatever it is, there are very, very few of this particular card, as opposed to you know some mass produced card, even though it's 110 years old,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a mass produced card because they're available, the marketplace doesn't support high value on them.
0: Right. It's just the the human nature of it's valuing nature something collecting. that's scarce. And so we're just going to create that in the digital world so that we can essentially replicate the system of trading money value as we know it, but in the digital space as well.
1: And there's, there's all the sociology and psychology that goes behind possessing something unique. You know The collectibles market, the whole point of the collectibles market is that we can own something that nobody else does or that very, very few other people do. What is the cost or what's the value to you of owning that thing? In some cases, it's like owning a Monet. What's the value of owning the original Monet? It's a painting, right? And I can get digital prints that are very, very good copies of that Monet, but owning the digital print is not owning the Monet the digital print may look just as good on my wall, but it's not a Monet. It's not the original Monet. The print on my wall is worth 25 bucks, right? The Monet, the Waterfront just sold at Christie's for what, 60 million or some ridiculously high number like that? It's worth that much to somebody. Is it worth it because they're a collector? Is it worth it because they value seeing the paintbrush strokes on the Monet? I don't know. Those are good questions. And Probably all of them are a little bit true.
0: All right, thank you, Mick. Good conversation, I appreciate it. As usual, I feel way smarter and also have 25 more questions than I came in with.
1: (laughs) It is a very exciting space. (laughs) Um, And I'm really excited to see what happens over the next few years as we start to realize more value.
0: Thanks again for your time. Thanks, Camille. Thanks again for joining me for our two-part look at non-fungible tokens. If you missed part one, I suggest you check it out because Mick gives a good explanation of what they are and we explore the nuances of what people are actually buying when they purchase an NFT and what they can and can't do with it. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening.
1: The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.